value missional living. We value missional living. Living on mission with God is something that we value. And we say, we say it like this. Uh, Pastor Mike and I spent some time articulating this. What we mean by missional living, we are a people on mission with God. God has invited us to join Him in reaching all peoples with the gospel message. So we live with a sense of mission, aiming to speak about the good news of Jesus Christ. God is a missional God, and His people are called to be a missional people, people living on mission with Him. Amen? And so Jesus, in John's gospel, he, he lives with, with this sense of mission. He, he, he would say things like, I only do what I see the Father doing. I say what I see, or say what I hear the Father saying. Jesus said in John's gospel, He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you into the world. And Jesus lived his whole life with this strong sense of purpose and mission. And he had a, he had a work to do while he was here on earth. And he could say at the end of his life, before he went to the cross, he could say, Father, I have glorified you here on earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Don't you want to be able to say that as the end of this life is approaching for you as you get near the last hours of your life here, here in this, on this earth? Don't you want to be able to say, and it be true, Father, I did what you've called me to do while I've been here. I've given you glory. I've lived for your glory. I've lived on mission for you. I've loved you. I've loved people. Now I'm ready to go. Take me home. Don't you want to be able to, to say that? Well, Jesus calls us and invites us to live on mission with him, to do what he does. Being a Christian means being like Jesus, following Jesus, trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus, following in his footsteps. And one of the ways that we follow in his footsteps is by living on mission, loving people and reaching out to people. So I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you got in an evangelistic conversation with somebody? And you talk to them about Jesus, about the gospel, about spiritual things. When was the last time you did that? Whether it was a stranger, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, when was the last time? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know that this is a weakness with, for most Christians. And this is an area that most Christians feel weak and feel ashamed. And actually, probably some of you have just thinking about answering that question. You're like, oh, I hope you didn't ask me, right? It's just a weakness. And so I know it's a weakness. God knows it's a weakness. And therefore, it's a burden on my heart. And I believe it's a burden on God's heart for his people to, to be moved on to his agenda, to be about his business, to do what matters most in this life. So... What I wanted us to do this morning is I want us to take a look at the most missional life ever lived. The, the one life who walked this earth, the one man who walked this earth, who lived missionally perfectly. Now we might say, well, what about the Apostle Paul? Yeah, Jesus trumps the Apostle Paul, right? <laughs> Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We'll look at Paul next week, Lord willing. <laughs> 
But we're going to start with Jesus because that's the goal. We want to know him. We want to be like him. We want to follow him. And in the Gospels, we have snapshots of glory on display. We have snap snapshots of the king of glory coming to this earth and revealing what God is like. Fully God, fully man, lived out before our eyes to see. And we have historical records of what that looked like. In the scriptures, in, in the gospels, and in John's gospel, we have this beautiful snapshot of Jesus engaging in this simple conversation with a Samaritan woman. And, and we're able to, to look inside and hear what was the exchange? How did that go? When Jesus met with this woman who was, she was an immoral woman. She had, she had had some several relationships and she was living in an immoral relationship. How would Jesus talk to somebody like that? Somebody of the opposite sex. He runs into at the, at the water well. What would he say? How would he handle that conversation in evangelizing her and reaching out to her and, and, and impacting her life? What does that look like? So John gives us a glimpse into what that looks like. What Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? Well, we're, we're going to look at what Jesus would do in John chapter 4 here in just a minute. Now, I want to say this. Uh, one, one important aspect of missional living is evangelism. And by evangelism, I mean proclaiming the gospel or speaking the gospel and then calling people to respond by turning from their sins and putting their faith in Jesus. Okay, that's an important component of missional living. There are many Christians today who want to live missionally and live and, t- and it's kind of a cool phrase and, and, you know, a cool thing. We're missional, missional community and, and they want to do that may- maybe without the speaking component. They want, they want to just win people over with their conduct, with their lives. That, that's great. I commend people who live godly lives and are rich and good good works and adorn the gospel with good works. I commend that. But even Jesus himself opened up his mouth. He didn't just live a perfect life before everybody to see how good and awesome he was healing the sick and raising the dead and doing all the wonderful works that he did. If anybody could have won people to Jesus and uh, save people's soul without saying a word, it could have been Jesus, right? Jesus could have did it, you know? But he opened his mouth and he he made it his aim to open his mouth and actually share words that would change people's lives, that would change their beliefs, that would change their thinking patterns. And he opened his mouth and he proclaimed truth, the truth about who he was, the truth about the father, the truth about salvation and and the sin and the penalty for sin and how to experience salvation. So we're going to open up. This text here, uh, John chapter four, and you got a Bible, you can turn there. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read this whole story. It's okay to read the Bible in church, right? Uh, Paul told Timothy to give yourselves to the reading of scripture. And so here we value the scriptures. And we're, we're just, I'm gonna read the story and then I have a couple of things I wanna say about the story. And, uh, and let's just get in there. Let's just let's just imagine what this conversation was like. Imagine the tone of voice. Imagine what this woman looked like and, and, and how Jesus related to her at the well. John chapter four, verse one. Now, when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, 
but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to drink water, to draw water. And Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Wow, Jesus just prophetically called her out. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. For the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I'm that guy. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. I'm here. I'm ready to to straighten it out. Just then, His disciples came back. They marveled. That he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and and went into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, uh, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. 
One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to say with them, He stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me uh, in reading the scriptures. I know that's a lot of verses to try to get in in one one setting, but here, here's the big idea. Here's where we're going this morning. Jesus modeled a lifestyle of missional living that we are to imitate. Very simple. We all know this, but it is, it's something that we have to walk out. And so I want to look at a few specific things. Uh, when it comes to evangelism, Jesus modeled missional living and he modeled evangelism uh, the component of evangelism perfectly for us. Jesus said in Mark's gospel, he said, for this reason, for this purpose, I've come to preach. Let's go to the other towns and I'll, and I'll preach there. The first thing I want to point out is in verse uh, 34, Jesus made this statement. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. This is profound to me. The disciples, they went to go get some food and they're like, hey, Jesus, you haven't eaten yet? Eat some food. And he's like, I have some food you guys don't know about. I've already eaten. I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm good. Did he have lunch with the lady? He didn't. He, impact, he evangelized her. He impacted her life. And there was this domino effect that happened. So she experienced the power of Jesus in conversation. And then she goes and she tells the town. And then there's this domino effect. People start believing in Jesus through her testimony. It's this domino effect. I think about Ellie and just how how God has rescued her and how she has that zeal to go tell others about Jesus and, and let others know about what God has done in uh, her life. You know, that's the effect that God wants to happen when we, when we come to Christ, when we get saved, we should never lose that passion to go and tell others, to testify about who Jesus and what he has done. But my first point is simply this, is that evangelism is the will of God. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is implying that what he just did, namely evangelism, he just engaged this woman in an evangelistic conversation He's saying, this is, that's what I came to do. That's my food. Uh, he just got done doing that. And there's this sense of fulfillment that you and I experience when we engage in this as well. You just think about what does food do for us? It's satisfying. It's fulfilling. Gives us energy. Jesus was also, I think, communicating in this that he had a priority to do the will of God over filling his belly with lunch. And so Jesus was all about that. In John 4, verse 4, it's interesting. I love, I love what it says here. Uh, John says that he, uh, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Now this is interesting because most Jews would avoid Samaria, right? They, they didn't like to hang out, connect with, fellowship with the Samaritans. They were, they were mixed. 
and they were compromisers in their worship of God. Uh, they, they, they weren't orthodox in the Jewish eyes. And so they, they didn't want to have fellowship with them. And Jesus is pressing past those barriers. He was engaging this woman with the gospel, uh, with the good news. And this is the will of God. This is what God wants for all of us. This is what it looks like to live on mission for God, to move past those barriers and proclaim the gospel truth. Notice it says he had to pass through Samaria. I don't think it was just because uh, it was the shortest way to get to where he was going. It was a quicker route, and the Jews would take the longer route to avoid the Samaritans. But I think that, that John is trying to communicate there's some divine activity going on here. The Father had an appointment set up for Jesus, a divine appointment. Uh, this is something I pray for. I encourage you to pray for as well. Divine appointments. God is working in people's lives. And you and I get to just join in with what he's doing in that work in people's lives. And when we do, we will be, we will be pleasantly surprised about how he answers that prayer uh, of God, give me divine appointments. Give me opportunities to share the message with people. And so evangelism is the will of God. I want to convince you of that. There are Christians who will push back on that and will dig their heels and say, not me, I'm not going to do it. Or I, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. And I, it's my desire this morning to help inspire you to do the work of evangelism and to equip you and give you some practical things. And so first, first of all, uh, I want to point out is that evangelism can seem seem awkward and feel uncomfortable. If you're going to talk to somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're going to have spiritual conversations with people, you're going to have to be bold enough to press past some barriers, some social barriers. Uh, this Jesus did it in his day. It wasn't socially acceptable, first of all, for a Jewish person to be interacting with a Samaritan, much much less a uh, uh, a rabbi interacting with a woman who uh, has some questionable character. This woman's broken. This woman has been, uh, she's living in immorality in the current relationship she uh, has. And then she she had five husbands before that. And none of that stops Jesus. He didn't let what what people might have thought about him keep him from engaging this woman in a loving evangelistic conversation. He pressed past it. Now, when the disciples came back, because this was socially and culturally unacceptable, it was an awkward moment for them. Okay, Uh, look what it says in verse 27. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what are you, what are you seeking, Jesus? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> nobody had the, nobody wanted to, you know, call Jesus out and be like, is everything all right? Is this, is this cool? Is this legit? Right? Nobody wanted, if anybody would have did it, it would have been Peter, but not even Peter, right? Peter, nobody asked him, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? Right? They didn't, they didn't say it. So this, this indicates this was culturally and socially unacceptable and Jesus didn't care about those social barriers that kept, he didn't let that keep him from doing the will of the Father. And you and I must not let cultural and social barriers keep us from sharing the gospel with people. 
Actually, maybe one of the, the, the biggest reasons why evangelism can feel awkward and uncomfortable is because we are just afraid and insecure and we don't want to get rejected. That's considered to be the number one reason why people don't evangelize and share their faith with others. Because it just doesn't feel good to get rejected. I mean, you're, you're putting yourself out there and initiating the conversation. And then what if they say, I'm not religious or I, I don't need that stuff. You know, what if they just totally shoot you down? And what if they say, you're just trying to convert me. You're just, you're just trying to, you're just trying to, you're just trying to control me. You're just trying to impose your beliefs on me. And I love how when Jesus is engaging in this conversation with this woman, I love how he ministers to her. But it's interesting to note how she she wants to go theological. After Jesus confronts her in her sin, she's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is the place to worship. And, And Jesus goes there with her. Jesus dialogues, engages with her, addresses her theology. And he's like, hey, that Messiah guy, like, I'm the one. This is this is important to note too. When we're evangelizing, we always want to point people to Jesus. We always want to lead the conversation to Jesus and to the cross, and we want to get there. That that should be our aim. Now, I know this doesn't always happen uh, for doesn't always happen for me uh, as I'm making evangelistic efforts to reach out to people. Uh, sometimes it's, it just stops at, hey, can I pray for you? No, I don't need any prayer. I'm busy there. No, I'm good. Bye. You know, sometimes it just com- just stops right there. You know, sometimes, uh, well, just this week, I, I, I had a divine appointment. I'm, I'm driving in my car, leaving, pulling out of my, my driveway, and there's this young lady walking down the road, and she's crying. She's just, she's broken. She's crying. I, I'm, I gotta be cold hearted and cool if I just pass her up and don't just like stop and, and try to talk to this young lady and pray for her. Uh, and so I did. So I did. I stopped and, and she was just grateful. Uh, her name was Amber. And I was just able to, to pray for her and encourage her and just let her know that God sees her. God loves her. God's for her. Uh, and, and notice this when Jesus ministered, when we have these encounters of Jesus evangelizing folks, he doesn't always say the exact same things. He doesn't have this canned approach for for everybody. It's not these one, two, three points. I mean, now he does call people to repent. He calls people to believe. And he, the words he uses to, to, to move people in that direction are, are different, you know, but that's the essence of what he's doing. You know, repent, change your mind, change your thinking, believe, believe in me, believe the gospel. That, that, those are elements that are in his his evangelistic methods. All right. But he tailored his approach differently to different people. And we got to do the same. You know, the way you talk to a a lady like this who's gone through some broken relationships is going to be different. The the way you talk to a rich, young ruler. Jesus told that dude, hey, you need to go sell all you have and come follow me. Right. And he went away sorrowful. And Jesus was 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 strong with him and hard with him. So anyways, evangelism can seem awkward and uncomfortable. Don't let the awkwardness of it keep you from reaching out, from stepping out. You have to press through that. You have to be courageous, be willing to go against the grain of the social norms. Break out of the box. Don't let the opinions of people and the fear of man stifle you from sharing that faith that is most precious to you. So press through it. Another thing is is that evangelism uh, is done through a 
a conversation, not merely a presentation. I, I love this. I love that we have this example of Jesus engaging in this conversation with this lady. And he initiates it. You know, she's surprised. She's like, why are, why are you talking to me? You know, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so she's surprised by that. So Jesus engages in the conversation. Now, Jesus also preached to crowds, pe- preached the masses, and he evangelized in that way. But but for most of us, most of us, we're not going to be, you know, preaching and standing in front of crowds and preaching the guy. Be like a Billy Graham. All right. I, and I have no delusions that I'm going to be a Billy Graham one day. I, praise God for his life. And he is just one of a kind. Right. But most of evangelism, most of the evangelism that the church is to do and should be doing should be done through simple conversations, simple conversations with people. We can all have a conversation with somebody that doesn't know the Lord about Jesus and engage in that conversation. One of the things that I like to do in those conversations is ask questions, ask them questions. Uh, so one of the, the questions I'll ask them is, uh, well, can I pray for you? Uh, do you have a church that you go to in the area? I'll ask people, what do you think you're here in this life for? What's your purpose? That's a good one. Fo- folks love to, a lot of times I'll catch people off guard while they're at Starbucks or at a <laughs> restaurant. They're like, why am I here? You know, it's like, it, it hits them like, man, that's a, that's a profound thought that, that I don't have time to think about right now. I need to work and serve. Uh, I'll think about that later. Uh, but if they do have time to engage in that, that conversation, I'll, I'll, I'll use that. Just stuff like that. Uh, we have invitation cards uh, that we, we give out here. And I, I give out. I think those are helpful to start conversations uh, with people. Like this event we have next Saturday. That's a good reason to start a conversation about spiritual things. Say, hey, did you get one of these? Invite them to the church. If you're intimidated by evangelism and actually like t- talking about Jesus with somebody that doesn't know the Lord, then a great place to start is just simply inviting folks to church. Just give them an invitation. A- anybody can do that. That's a great starting place. But then, uh, but then I encourage you to try to go past that. Don't just stop there because merely giving an invitation to church is not evangelism. You don't want to just stop there. It, it can be evangelistic, but if that's not uh, uh, just a simple invitation to church is not evangelism. They need the gospel. And most of the people that I've invited to church never came. Never came. But you know what? I can share the gospel with them right there in that moment if they're willing to have that conversation a little bit further. And I can bring to them the message that they need to hear most right there in that conversation versus just waiting for them to show up at church one day. So use those invitations and engage in those conversations. Ask questions. Learn to listen. Uh, you know, if, if you'll, if, if you, you could ask somebody their story and just say, Hey, tell me your story. Tell me, tell me a little bit of your background. You know, if you're talking to a homeless guy on the street, you know, and, and they're, they're asking for a couple of bucks, you say, you know what? I'll give you a couple of bucks, but will you take two minutes to share with me your story? Let, let them share their story with you and then, and then you share with them. You, uh, you know, a salesman, salesperson calls or a salesperson walks up to your door and they got something to sell and you're not interested. Don't just tell them, hey, go away. You know, just say, okay, listen to them and say, okay. And after you've heard them out, say, now can I share with you? Can I share with you something that's very precious to me? And you know, it's free. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to pay anything. It's been paid for you and just share the gospel with them. 
And so engage in conversations. I love that we see Jesus doing this. He's not just an itinerant preacher preaching to the crowds. He's a real man in flesh and blood engaging in conversation with this woman. And so do that. Engage in conversations. Ask questions. One of the big questions I like to ask folks in, in sharing the gospel is, uh, if you were to die today, where do you think you would go? And most people will say heaven. And then the question after that is, why? If you're going to heaven, why are you going to heaven? And and there you'll find, when you ask people those questions there, you'll find what people are trusting in to get to heaven. If they say, well, I'm just a good person, man. I'm killing it. I know I'm going to heaven, right? Uh, Deborah and I invited somebody uh, this last week, a young man, and we asked him that question. He, and he just said, because of the way I live, I'm going to heaven. I thought, man, you must be really good, right? And so, so we started talking a little bit more about that. What does it look like to, to live good enough to get to heaven, right? And, and so, and I explained to him that the Bible says there's nobody that's good enough. Nobody can get there by how good you are or, or not. Uh, it's by grace through faith. And so those, that's one of the big rocks. And when I'm in those conversations, I want to bring people to the reality that they have one hope and that's Jesus. And it's his grace given through faith. They can't earn it. They can't work their way to get it. They have to simply receive that gift. And so I want to encourage you this week, church, purpose and commit to engaging one person, uh, at least one person with the gospel. Some of y'all may be rock stars at evangelism and you might need to commit to five or ten, right? A purpose to, to share the gospel with at least one or at least try Try to engage somebody in a spiritual conversation at the store, at Costco, at at the gas station, in the neighborhood, at the park. The weather is beautiful. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to, this is going to be our theme. We're going to focus in on this. And I really want us as a church to gain momentum in this area for our joy and for the good of others all around us. It is exciting living on mission with God. It's kind of, kind of you kind of get this high. Mike and I were on the dart train a couple of weeks ago and and uh and we shared the gospel on the dart train and and got to engage in conversations and I was preaching to the whole train on the dart train and and we we left and we were just all fired up just talking about like Man, this is what we need to be doing all the time, right? And I said, man, if I had just a week to live, this is one of the things I want to be doing in that last week. I want to engage in in activity like this that's going to make uh, an impact on people's lives and in, in the life to come. And so engage in conversations. And, and even if they're already a believer, if, if, if you're engaging in a conversation with somebody who's already a Christian or they're, you're not sure, they say they're a Christian, you, know, you can still encourage them. You still pray for them. You can still love them. You can still serve them and reach out to them. So engage in conversations. This woman really needed what Jesus had. She really needed. She had a thirst that was much more profound than just getting a jug of water. She had a hunger in her soul that was much more profound, needed much more than five husbands to meet that need. She she wasn't finding satisfaction. As Majagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. She wasn't finding it in the things of this world. 
And Jesus was the third, Jesus was the thirst quencher. Jesus had the living water. Jesus had what she needed. And there are people all around us. You can see them. You can see their faces. You can just see the heaviness that they're carrying and the emptiness that they're living with all around us. And they need what you have. Jesus. They need the gospel that you have. And it's a profound reality to me that God has chosen through our lips to communicate that message that saves people's souls, the gospel. It's profound to me that God chooses to use us in that work, that he calls us to be a part of that and enter in into that. So last point here, evangelism involves sowing and reaping. So Jesus said in verse 35, do not, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest already. The one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. If you ever get the joy of leading somebody to Christ, know that there have been other people, other prayers, other seeds sown. The Holy Spirit has been working in their hearts wooing them, drawing them, doing something way before you showed up on the scene. And you just got the great privilege and joy to step in to seeing God do something beautiful at the right time. My wife and I just bought a house in the fall in Garland. And uh, the, the people that lived in the home before were like, crazy green thumb folks and they they planted all kinds of plants and flowers uh, everywhere in the backyard and i mean just like they they overdid it they just they love flowers you know but we you know it's been winter and i have we haven't seen all those but in the last couple weeks we're we're starting to see these beautiful flowers springing up and blossoming and now we get to enjoy the fruit of somebody else's labor. We didn't plant those flowers. We didn't care for those flowers. Actually, we did damage to many of them and got rid of some of those plants. We didn't know what was under there. We're like, let's just clear this out. Let's simplify. It's too busy, right? Too much going on here. You know, we want it simple. Uh, but now, now we're experiencing the beauty of these flowers blossoming. We've entered into somebody else's labor. And in evangelism, we get the joy of doing that. There's been grandmothers praying for their grandchildren. There's been moms praying for their children. Dads who have been been all their life just trying to point their boy to the Lord. And, and then we, we step in and we have these moments and we're able to take the fruit, reap the fruit of what's already been sown in their lives. We get that great joy. And what a joy it is. It's like... It's like having a new baby brought into the family, you know, new life. And you're just intrigued, like, wow, this is a human being. This is new life. This is beautiful. And we get that joy in evangelism. We get to step into this and and know that sometimes we're just sowing seeds when we're evangelizing. Sometimes it's the work of we're, we're plowing, we're sowing seeds, we're, we're, we're helping. Uh, and somebody else later on is going to get to reap that. And, and so this should encourage us because we don't always see the fruit that we desire in the area of evangelism. 
uh, in ministry. Sometimes it's sowing, sometimes it's reaping. But know this, there is a harvest all around us that is ripe and ready. It's, that's what Jesus said. That was true then, and you know what? That's true right now. Do you, do you really believe that? Do you believe that there are people all around this metroplex that are like today, right now, like ready to receive Jesus? In your apartment complex, in your neighborhood, in, in your workplace? Do you believe that there are people that God's been drawing, that God's been wooing, and they're ready? They're, they just need somebody to tell them what to believe, who to believe, where to put their hope, where to put their faith. What do I do? How can I be saved? Wouldn't you just love it if they just came up and asked you that question? What must I do to be saved? I would love that if people did that to me more often. But you know what? We won't know that they have that question if we don't engage in conversations with them. We don't take the time to press through the fears and the insecurities that they have and then press through our own fears and insecurities and get up, get out of our own comfort zone and give people a chunk of our time because we value them. We love them. We care about their souls and where they're going to spend eternity. This is encouraging to me that, that one sows, one waters, another reaps. Uh, God is the one who gives the increase. First Corinthians three. He's the God of salvation. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one that gives the increase. He's the one that saves people. And he calls us to partner in with what he's doing. So an application here, I'm going to close. Pray for God to give you divine appointments and be ready when he does. You want some practicals? Where do I start? All right, I heard you, Pastor Keith. I know I'm supposed to do this. I believe you. It's the will of God that I do this. It's the will of God for all Christians to engage in this. Not just evangelists, not just pastors, not just missionaries are, are, are to do this. Actually, evangelists in Ephesians 4 are called to equip the church to do this work of the ministry. So this is for all the church to do this work of the ministry of sharing the gospel with people. So great place to start. Pray, pray, pray. Prayer always preceded Jesus' preaching. How do we know that? Well, the first thing he did when he got up in the morning, was prayed. He spent time with the Father. He got that big rock in every day. He's spending time with the Father. He's praying. And then you know what? The rest of the day, he's, he's, he's letting his light shine. He's loving people. He's reaching out to people. He's bringing the kingdom. So pray. Start there. Pray that God give you divine appointments. And don't, I mean, expect them to do so. Like, be ready when, when that person is, you know, you're at the grocery store and that person is, uh, you know, distressed in tears and you're right, you're right in front of them and they're crying. You know, be ready to like try to talk to them. You know, there's a need. Um, and then purpose to be aware of those people and greet them, wave, look at, look them in the eyes. Like if we'll just kind of slow down and, and be more aware of people, uh, there are all kinds of opportunities and divine appointments that you and I may be passing up every single day. God's like, I sent this one your way. I sent this one your way. I sent this one your way. Uh, all kinds of divine appointments. So just look around. Look people in the eyes. Just consider what is God doing in their lives? What does God want to do in, 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 your wait, in the waitress that you have at, at uh, when you go to eat? If you go out to eat today, ask the waitress or waiter, can we pray for you? We're going to thank God for this food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? It's a great habit to, to, to have. Uh, and then lastly, press through the barriers that keep you from initiating the conversations. Now, if you purpose to do this, if you pray 
for God to give you some divine appointments. And then in your mind, you get yourself ready. You get yourself psyched up to, I'm going to do this. You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your heart's going to start going like this when it's time, right? Like, oh, I know, I know the Lord wants me to go talk to this person right now. I know I need to turn around. I know I need to go back and engage in that conversation. <laughs> then, then you're going to, there's going to be a battle there. There's spiritual warfare that, that wages all around this activity of evangelism. And, and it, it, you'll, you'll think of all kinds of excuses why. Uh, they, they probably don't want to hear it or, uh, no, I didn't dress nice enough today or, oh, I got my kids with me or, or, oh no, I'm running late for church. Uh, press through those barriers that keep you from initiating those conversations. Asking God to give us his heart, give us his passion to reach the world around us. Lord, as it was said by the Samaritans, this is the Savior of the world. We agree and we proclaim that today, that you, Jesus, are the Savior of the world. You are the hope of the earth. And you have put that in us. And you've entrusted us with that living hope, with that gospel message. And so in this season, I pray that you would stir our hearts, God, that you would move us onto your agenda, God, that we would burn with the same passion that you have for the lost, for the hurting. Would you give us divine appointments? This week, I pray that you'd open doors and that that next Sunday as we gather, that we would hear all kinds of testimonies of you at work. This week as we go out, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and we we invite people door to door, knocking on doors, engaging people in the, in the community, would you, God, bring people to faith? Would you save households? As we throw a party next Saturday here on the parking lot, God, would you just fill this place with people ready to receive Christ? And may the gospel...